0: Genesis, Uh, hopefully you have a journal. These are free. If you don't have a journal, stop by Connect Central today. Big blue banner, new here, start here. Just stop by, grab a journal. Uh, The journals each week give you some scriptures to read that walk with us and what we're talking about on Sundays to go just a little bit deeper, to read in scripture, to be challenged by God's spirit. Genesis, the book of Genesis, is the very first book of the Bible, and it talks about beginnings, beginnings. And it's laying the framework for how the God of the universe, the God who created the universe, how God interacts with humanity, which is you and me. Um, Raise your hand if you're a human. (laughs) So Genesis gives us the framework for how God wants to interact with us, engage with us for his good and your good in the world. Genesis is just the beginning framework one of the challenges, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, one of the challenges with Genesis is oftentimes we try to read Genesis with our modern lenses, and we read Genesis uh, with with our uh, hopes that there's a scientific explanation for everything, and that's not why Genesis was written or how it was written. So we have to be careful not to expect something out of Genesis that wasn't intended. Genesis is much more interested with the who behind creation than the how behind creation. Does that make sense? Now, there are some roots in there, some some things that we can dig into, but so much more important as we read it is the God behind all of it. That's that's what's uh, key for us to understand. Uh, The narrative arc, so here's the narrative arc of Genesis. Uh, God created the world. There was light in the darkness. He created order out of chaos. There's so many beautiful pictures of how God wants to bring light into our darkness. He wants to to take the chaos of our life and bring some order into our lives. I mean, there's so many little pieces to that, but we rebel. Now, isn't this true about all of us that we know what's healthy for us, but we like to go the other direction sometime? Come on, be honest. Be honest. You know how I know this is true for you and for me? Because you open, um, when, you, when you go to a restaurant, you open the menu, and, and you and I, we, we know what's healthy, but when you're at Ajo Owls, and you're reading down, and you're like, I don't know what is in the, the, that cream with jalapenos and all the stuff, it can't be healthy, but it is so good, so I'm getting that. You know what I mean? So many of us, like, we know what's healthy, but we rebel. This is true in life, just like it is in our health, but we rebel with selfishness and sin, and it creates this, um, it creates this distance between us and God, but it's not because of God. It's because of us. Like, we rebel. We, we move away from God, and God, it's interesting, God is always moving closer to us, and that's what Genesis says explains is that God is pursuing us because of his great love, not out of anger. Um, not. It, it's, it's simply because he, he wants a relationship with his creation. And that's you and that's me. It's beautiful. God calls us. He gives us a place and a purpose. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Cameron talked a lot about the calling that God placed on Abraham, but it's the calling that he has for all of us. Uh, but we are corrupted. And with this sin and the pain and the chaos of our lives, again, it creates um, some pain in the world around us. And, um, and God wants to redeem and restore all of that. There's the restoration. And we're gonna talk about that this morning. We're gonna talk about the restoration that God wants to bring about in your life and my life. And we have a role to play. Now, last week... Um, I want to give you this key verse again, and it's actually found in Exodus, but it's born out of some things that are happening in Genesis all the way through. It's the most quoted verse about God in the entire Old Testament, and here it is. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This is describing who God is, and church, this is good. I mean... I don't know where you are in life today, and I don't know what you need, but you have a heavenly Father who is full of compassion and mercy, and that is good news. For some of you, for some of you, it's good news that God is slow to anger, right? Some of you, it's so good to know that God is slow to anger. He's full of unfailing love and faithfulness to his people, his creation. This is good news for all of us. And we're going to dig into the story of Joseph today, and I'm going to walk through some different pieces of the story, and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions when we get to the end of the story. And I really want to send you out with these questions to wrestle with. How does, um, how does the, the, the God of the universe, the God who is full of unfailing love and, and, and compassion and faithfulness to us, how does that God want to intersect with the lives that we are living today. So how does this make a difference for you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? And how, how, how can we see our lives coming into uh, a union, connection with the God of the universe? And that's what's most important as we walk uh, at the end of this book. And we find a story about Joseph, and Joseph is one of Jacob's sons. Jacob has a number of sons. Um, Joseph is the favorite son, and that's setting him up for some pain down the road because his brothers know he is the favorite son. If you know your brother is the favorite son, you're going to cut his legs out from under him at some point because you want some attention, right? Joseph uh, is the favorite son. Many of you um, maybe have seen the play Uh, There's the the beautiful coat that his dad gives to him. You remember this? The coat of many colors. Gives him this coat to signify he's the favorite son, which does not go well with his brothers. Uh, They go out to work in the fields. Joseph goes out to check on them, and his brothers decide to kill him. This is not a good story. Sibling rivalry, like our sibling rivalry has, like it's lightweight compared to what was going on here. They decide to kill him. One of the brothers talks him out of it and says, instead of killing him, let's sell him into slavery. This is good. This is perfect. Let's do it. So they throw him in a pit. They're talking about what to do. Some travelers come by, some traders come by, and they decide to make a profit off their brother rather than just killing him. So they sell him to these traders who are coming through, and then they take his coat, they smear it with some blood, they take it home, and they tell his dad that his favorite son is dead. So he's gone. Joseph is gone. His dad thinks he's the family thinks he's dead. He's actually now a slave. They the traders take him to Egypt. So this is where we pick up this part of the story. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the traders. He was purchased by Potiphar, who was an Egyptian officer, and he was working for Pharaoh. So Pharaoh was the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in this region. Uh, his, His official, Potiphar, sees these slaves that are come in, and he buys, he purchases Joseph, who has been sold. Are you with me in the story so far? Got it? How do you feel if you're Joseph. You've gone from being the favorite son, getting a nice jacket to being sold and you're in a foreign place where you probably don't speak the same language and you're bought for labor. Not great, right? (laughs) Needs therapy, don't we all? So here he is in Egypt and here's the next line of scripture. This This is literally, I mean, this is right there in scripture. The Lord was with Joseph. Like seriously? I don't think the Lord's with Joseph. And oftentimes when I feel like I've been set aside and forgotten, I don't feel like the Lord's with me either. Come on, be honest. Many of you, when when you've been disappointed with life and disappointed in the people in your life, you feel like God has turned his back on you. You don't feel like God is with you, right? You feel like he's distant, like he's forgotten you. How could it be that the Lord was with Joseph? And even a bigger question as as we wrestle with this little piece of the story is in Scripture, we get the idea that God is separated from humanity and God is not with humanity because God can't be with humanity because of our sin. And yet, Scripture tells us that in the midst of even Joseph's sin and his disappointment and his anger, all the stuff that he's wrestling with, God is with him which should provide some hope for us. That no matter what we're walking through in life, we can be assured that God is with us in the midst of our disappointment, of our pain, of our struggles, of our sin, like God is with us. So God is with him. It's so interesting that Joseph Because of the way he lives his life, he he begins to climb the ladder of servants, whatever that looks like. And he becomes like the the right-hand guy to Potiphar. And Potiphar gives him charge of his whole house. He's like, "Take, take over everything here. So he starts working in the house. Potiphar's wife notices Joseph. You can see where this is going. She's like, he's cute, he's foreign. Wow. I think that's what she thought. I don't know. I mean, but she got excited. And so she continually throws herself at Joseph. And Joseph continually does the right thing and refuses to engage in any kind of relationship with his boss's wife. He does the right thing, like, he makes the right choice. So she tells her husband what's been going on, except for she twists the story. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story. Because he heard a story about how Joseph had mistreated his wife and tried to take her uh, in a way that she didn't want to go. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, like the worst of the worst, thrown in the dungeon kind of a picture, and there he remained. Joseph not only is in a foreign land, he's now in a prison for doing the right thing. Have you ever felt like you were in a prison for doing the right thing? Have you ever felt like I did the right thing and like karma doesn't work? Like I did the right thing and now I'm in a bad place. Look at the next line of the story. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. Now, at this point in the story, I get a little angry. I'm like, serious? God, you're not with him. If you were with him, he wouldn't be in prison. Because that's how humans think. God, if you were with me, I wouldn't be walking through this painful moment in my life. If you were with me, I wouldn't be saying goodbye to someone I loved. If you were with me, so fill in the blank. You know what I mean? Like, if God was with me, how did God show Joseph his faithful love while Joseph was in prison for doing the right thing. Do you see what I mean? Isn't that like frustrating? Like I'm frustrated with the story at this point. I'm like, oh my gosh, how could this be good? Like how, and and here's what I've come to find and I think is true for all of us, is that our circumstances and our feelings are not the best indicators of God's presence, his power, and his love in our lives. I I think that's so important for us to, to understand that our circumstances, the things that we're walking through, and the feelings that we have are not necessarily the best indicators of whether or not God is with us. And that's where oftentimes we're lost as humans. You know the name of the series You Lost Me At? Like we, we tend to think when, when things are going well, it means I'm doing the right thing and God is blessing me, God is with me. Does that make sense? Like on Saturday, when it's crazy in Scottsdale and you pull up to Costco, somebody backs out of the front parking spot and you pull in and you're like, God loves me. <laughs> you know, I, I love to golf and when I'm golfing and I hit a terrible shot and it goes into the desert but it hits a rock and pops out into the middle of the fairway, I'm like, I'm living right. God loves me. Hashtag blessed. You know, like we think, we we, we wrongly believe that our circumstances are the best indicators of whether or not God is with us, and it's just not true. God can be with us even when we feel all alone, even when we feel abandoned by the very people we thought would always be there. God is always there. He's always with us. Um, listen to a couple of these passages of scripture. Um, the psalmist says this Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go? Like, where can I escape your, your, your spirit, God? And he goes on to say, Nowhere. If I, if I ride the wings like the, uh, of the eagles, like you're there. If I go to the, the depths, you're there. I mean, God is, God is always with me. I cannot escape God. And I want you to hear this today. And this is not a negative thing. And it's not meant to, to be like a, a... God is always with you. And you cannot escape his presence. You can't. You can't outrun God. And God will always be pursuing you simply because he loves you. It's... You know, I, I know I say this a lot, but it's, it's like that toddler, when you have kids, how you're always pursuing that toddler because you don't want them to hurt themselves. You know, they're top-heavy. Their heads just kind of bobble. And so you're like following that toddler not out of anger or not out of frustration. You're following them out of love and care and compassion, which is who God is. And many of us, even as adults, we're bouncing around life top heavy and we're running into things and we're rebelling. And yet God is there. Not not to like not to like hold it over our heads, but rather to 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 lovingly swallow us up with his compassion. I mean that's that's what God wants to do in your life. And even when you rebel and, and you, you cause, like God, God's, his love for you outweighs everything else. And, and he just wants, when you turn back to him, he just swallows you in his love. And that's my heart for us, all of us, is that in seeing this picture throughout the book of Genesis, we would recognize that God is with us. Jesus even said to his disciples, one of the very last things he said was, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus was telling his disciples right before he he would leave them, that he would always be with them. Well, how does he do that? It's through the spirit of God that he will always be with them. And it's the spirit of God who will always be with you. The same spirit that was with Christ, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that lives in us and around us. Think about that. The spirit that was hovering over the dark waters at the very beginning of the story that we started a few weeks ago, that same spirit that brought order out of the chaos is the God and the spirit that wants to bring order out of the chaos of our lives. And if you're not in chaos right now, you will be at some point. Just hold on. It's coming. And God wants to be there to, to help bring some order and, and light into that. I mean, I, I don't know if you started listening to Christmas music. Anyone? Emmanuel? God with us? So as, as your mind starts to turn to Christmas, I know some of you are like, um, as your mind starts thinking about Christmas, you're going to start seeing ads the the very name Emmanuel means God with us. Don't don't miss that in whatever season of life you're in, that God is is with you. So, through some crazy twists and turns, um, Joseph again finds favor in the eyes of those who are all around him. He he uh, has this, this way of, uh, he, he's had some dreams in his life, and he helps to interpret some dreams that some others have. And because of this, he's put in another prominent place. And um, he, he begins to set in, into place in Egypt a plan that will, in, in the midst of famine and destruction in all the land, that will, will keep Egypt in a place of prosperity. He, he does this incredible thing and he kind of lines it up in such a way. And what's so interesting is uh, Joseph's brothers and his family are in the midst of a famine where they're gonna lose their lives and they have to go try to find food. And guess where they find themselves? Egypt. Because Egypt is now known as the place to find food in this time of famine when nobody has anything. Well, guess who's in charge of the food in Egypt? I mean, this should be, I mean, it could be a great movie. This could be an awesome movie. And so we have all these little twists and turns where Joseph knows it's his brothers, but his brothers don't know it's him. And so he's kind of playing with them in a healthy way. You should read the Bible. There's some great stuff in there. I know I tell you that from time to time, but like go read the end of Genesis this week. There's just some great things. He's kind of toying with them there's a point at which he gives them a ton of food and he hides um, some like silver in one of the bags and he sends them off and then he has his guards go and they're like, oh, you stole something. They're like, we didn't steal anything. And he's like, let's see your bags and there's something in there. It's, I mean, a great movie. And so he brings one of them back and, and then finally he reveals himself to them. I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. Can you imagine the fear that probably struck them in that moment. And look what he says. I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery into Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. What a perspective. What an amazing perspective. That the circumstances of my life aren't necessarily um, the things that that display whether or not God's present, but maybe the circumstances of my life have aligned me in the perfect place at the perfect time to bring about good in the lives of someone else. I mean, what a perspective. He was sold, went to a land that he he did the right thing, was accused of wrongdoing, he was thrown into prison, he was forgotten time and time again, and yet he had the perspective to say, God is the one who placed me here for such a time as this. Esther, later in Scripture, says the same exact thing. For such a time as this, I've been put here. Right? God sent me here to save your lives. Um, They don't really trust this about Joseph, and they're worried that when their dad dies, when Jacob dies, that's when he's actually gonna bring the hammer down on them. Like that he's, that he's just kind of withholding his anger until dad dies. So Jacob dies and they come back to him again fearful. Look what he says a second time. He said, the second time he says, um, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Joseph had the perspective and the wisdom because he understood God's presence in his life, that no matter the circumstances, God can bring this, what's evil right now, what's difficult right now, God can turn this into some sort of good, not just for me, but for other people. And that is a Christ-like perspective. And it's a difficult perspective for us to have. That in the pain of my current circumstances, God has the power in his presence to bring about something good, not just for me, but for others. I mean, right? Later in Scripture, Paul says, and we know that God causes everything. I mean, do you remember this passage? He causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Paul is able to say this, that in the midst of, um, you know, the early church, Great persecution. Paul was able to say, we know that God can bring about good in the lives of anyone who loves him, who's called according to his his purposes. Um, N.T. Wright, you know, I can't go through many Sundays without talking about N.T. Wright, just a a scholar that, that I really respect. He says this, and I think this is one of the challenges for us um, we can be completely sure that God is in charge, that he can bring good out of whatever happens. And here's the challenge for us. Here's the challenge as we think about how does the, like God and our lives, how do these things, how does faith and life intersect? We must learn to trust God in the many varied and often troubling circumstances of our lives. So here's, here's part of the challenge is can you trust God with whatever it is that you're walking through right now, good or bad? Can you trust him? Can you learn to trust God no matter what the circumstances in front of you look like? Can you trust him? Can you you trust that he's with you and he can bring about good no matter the difficulty that you're facing? And I know it sounds good. I, I know like there's this sense of like, man, that sounds awesome. But I'm walking through some of the most difficult things I think imaginable in the world. A loved one who's walking through a health challenge that I don't know that they'll ever overcome. You know, I visited with some friends this week that are walking through just um, some some health pieces that just won't ever get better. You know, Scripture says, outwardly we're wasting away, the body's wasting away. Can I get any amens? Outwardly the, the body's wasting away. Yet inwardly, God can renew us day by day. That's what scripture, like, can we believe that? Can you believe that? Can you trust that? Can you have faith in the God who created the universe? And that's the challenge of of humanity, to trust God. When we can't make sense of what's going on around us. So I, I mentioned I was going to give you two big questions to wrestle with at the end, so here's my two big questions. Here's the first one. Mm, I don't even want to ask myself this one. When given the chance, when given the chance, would or will you choose goodness and grace or retaliation and revenge? Which one will you choose? Which one would you choose? I don't even want to say anything about it. But, but given the chance, like if you found yourself in a position where you could retaliate, you had the moment, you had the power, you had the opportunity to retaliate or seek revenge, what would you do with that power? Now, can I step on some toes? Some of you are like, nope. Um, Our current cultural environment is one of retaliation and revenge almost every single time. And if you don't believe that to be true, just step into a political conversation. Ooh. When your political preferences enters power, which if they're not in power now, just wait. One day they will be. What is is our choice? What do we want to do when we're in power? We want to retaliate for what was done to us. Right? What will you do when given the opportunity? Jesus had all the power. He could have done anything he wanted. He willingly laid down his life. And it's so interesting. Scripture says that's when you find life. It's when you find life is when you're able to let go of power and use what you've been given to serve others. Listen to what Joseph said. God has put me in this position in order to save your lives. I could send you away and you could starve to death. I could do that. But rather, Joseph said, no, no, no. I've come to this place in order to save the lives of many. So I'm gonna willingly take what's been given to me, what I've earned. I mean, do you think Joseph worked for what he got? He had to. He wasn't given anything. He was given a bunch of bad luck. He took what he earned. This is mine, I earned it. And he gave it to those who meant to harm him. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Um, Second question, let's move on from that one. Kinda got quiet, I lost (laughs) ya. You lost me at the first question, Matt. Second one. Um, Why might God have brought you to the very place and the people where you find yourself today? Why might God have brought you to that place? Your work, your family, your friends, your hobbies. Like, why might God have brought you to that place? What is it maybe that God wants to do through you in that place and with that people. Now, this is the beauty of of what Christ sent his disciples to do, is that um, the work of God doesn't just happen in a gathering like this. I believe it does. I believe God speaks to us in moments like this. I believe in worship. We're caught up into this this presence of God. And I think it's unbelievable. I think it's so important that we gather together. But I think the beauty of the kingdom of God is when we scatter because we become God's presence. Sometimes he uses us personally to be his presence in the lives of those who don't even believe God is there. Like, we get to be that. So why might God have brought you to the place, the very place, and the people that you're with? So here's, here's my hope and, and prayer as we walk out of this series. Um, there's this story of Jacob uh, at this one moment in his life, and he wrestles with God, he goes to sleep, and um, it says that, that Jacob awoke from his sleep, and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. And that's what I hope we do. Not, not in this place particularly, although that might be helpful too. I hope that in our homes and in our businesses, and in the places that we frequent. I hope that we'll wake up to the presence of God, that we'll wake up and we'll say, oh my gosh, surely God is here, even in the difficult circumstances, and I wasn't even aware of it. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome if you walked into your, your office and you were able to, to come to this place of being in tune with God in a way that, that you could trust him, no matter what it was that you had to to walk out in your life. Um, Andy Stanley, years ago, uh, said this, and it's one of those things that has stuck with me that I just, um, I keep coming back to. When life is uncertain, God is not. Don't you like that? In fact, why don't you say that with me? When life is uncertain, God is not. He's still got the whole world in his hands. Isn't that great? When, when life is uncertain, when your life is uncertain, I want you to know God is not. He's with you. And he might be working in all those circumstances to bring about good. He probably is. If we can trust him. And um, that's the invitation. It's the invitation in all of scripture to trust him. Because his heart is to redeem and restore all that's broken in this world. It's his heart. Um, Would you stand with me? And we're going to sing one last song. This last song, we chose this song. um, I can't remember who sings it. Um, I know Lindsay's going to sing it, but I can't remember who sings it. Um, And it's called Never Walked Alone. I've Never Walked Alone. And we chose it because the truth is, however you feel You've never walked alone. God's with you. He never abandons us. He never forsakes us. And as we sing this song, um, we want to give you just an opportunity to respond to him. And maybe you feel all alone in the world right now. Uh, Maybe you feel disappointed, frustrated because of the circumstances of your life. I want to invite you to light a candle. And this is simply a symbolic way to invite God to show up in your life And it's almost a way of saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to light a candle symbolically saying, I trust you. Will your presence be made known to me? So maybe you want to light a candle. There's communion in the back ring. um, And communion is a, a, a physical reminder of God's love. The body of Christ broken, his blood which was spilled for the forgiveness of sins. So maybe you just need to take communion to be reminded of God's great love for you. In the back of the room is a prayer wall. Maybe you just need to write a prayer this morning. We just want to give you space to respond. So God, in these moments, we, we trust you. We're so thankful that we are never alone, that you walk with us, even in prison, when we're forgotten, when we're, when we're wrongly accused, when we're sold into slavery. God, we trust you because you are with us, and we believe you can bring about good. God, thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.